0: Amen. How's everyone doing today? I sound like Barry White. Can you, can you turn me down a little bit? <laughs> My voice is deep, but it's not that deep. Um, I'm just so thankful uh, for this house. Uh, this whole week, I've been just really just communicating with God and just, you know, when God takes you, he just gives you a moment. And he just reminds you of all the things that he's done for you in your life. And you just recount, you're just like, God, you're so good. And, like, the present troubles and the present circumstances that we face now are in no way greater than your goodness. And, like, he's good all the time. And the funny thing is, uh, Will Eifler, who spoke last Sunday, his message was the very first message I heard of Hilltop. I'm actually not from Boston. I'm from Texas. And um, I was working in a church down there. I was doing maintenance and security. Praise God. We need maintenance workers and security workers. And I was in my car, and the Lord was just putting Boston on my heart. And so I went on Google, and I did a Google search. I did, like, Boston Pray Church because, like, those three things I knew. And uh, Will's message came up, and I heard it. He actually was talking about the Daniel stance. Um, So it's just crazy how, like, now, you know, I'm going to be sharing a load about Daniel. I'm so excited. Um, So, yeah, if you guys can open up your Bibles, bringing your Bibles to church is very important. Or your iPhones because I I brought my iPhone. So... (laughs) I just want to encourage you guys, like, the word is so good, and uh, it just is so refreshing when you get into it. And so I just want to encourage you, like, if you don't open up your Bible, you don't bring it to church, start bringing it. So as Daryl said, we're talking about Daniel. Over these past couple of weeks, we've been going through the whole progression of Daniel and just talking about his excellence and what God was really doing with his life. And, and uh, just reading the scripture to see what God is telling us about Daniel, to see how we can become like Daniel's, how we could have a spirit of excellence and also partner with the Lord in that way. So I'm going to be talking um, out of chapters Daniel four through six. I'm known to go off the grid a little bit, but I promise you, I'll get back to the trail. So don't worry. If we end up in Genesis, it's fine. Stay with me. We'll come back to Daniel. I promise. Um. (laughs) So in Daniel chapter four, this is actually very interesting. Um, this is the part where Nebuchadnezzar acknowledges who God is, his sovereignty. And this is a very monumental uh, piece of this story because before, as you know, Nebuchadnezzar is, a, whoa, Hey, I don't know if this is going to work, but Nebuchadnezzar was a very prideful King. Uh, he would often, you know, challenge Daniel's stance, um, To God, and he was very, very self-serving. He would seek his own sovereignty, and this is actually a very interesting part of scripture, um, because it's where Nebuchadnezzar starts to acknowledge God as sovereign. So I'm going to start reading in Daniel chapter 4, verse 1. So it says, Nebuchadnezzar the king to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language that live all the earth, may your peace abound. It has seemed good to me to declare the signs and wonders which the most high God has done for me. And this is Nebuchadnezzar speaking. He says, how great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. Now, this is very interesting because before he used to always say, Daniel, the God that you serve. Daniel, the God that you serve. But now in this scripture, he's, he's actually preaching to all the people in the nations. He's saying, God, how great are his signs, and how mighty are his wonders? His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. So this is very interesting, because right now, Nebuchadnezzar is no longer putting himself on an equal plane with God. He's saying, "God, you are sovereign. God, you are great." And this is actually very significant in the order of this uh, chapter, because next you're going to see uh, Nebuchadnezzar actually has a vision, and uh, he calls Daniel to interpret the vision. And the interpretation isn't what he was seeking. So if we go to chapter 4. Nebuchadnezzar was at ease in my house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream and it made me fearful. And these fantasies as I lay on my bed and the visions in my mind kept alarming me. So I gave orders to bring into my presence all the wise men of Babylon. That they might know to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians and the conjurers, the Chaldeans and the diviners came in, and I, relate, and I related the dream to them, but they could not make this interpretation known to me. But finally, Daniel came in before me, whose name is Belshazzar, is Belshazzar, according to the name of my God, and in whom is a spirit of the holy gods. And I related the dream to him, saying, O Belshazzar, chief of the musicians, since I know that a spirit of the holy gods is in you, And no mystery baffles you. Tell me the visions of my dream, which I have seen along with its interpretation. Now, these were the visions in my mind as I lay in my bed. I was looking and behold, there was a tree in the midst of the earth and its height was great. I'm going to stop right there for a second. It's so interesting. Like the Bible is so um, intentional in the words it uses and the things it uses. It's very interesting that they relate Nebuchadnezzar to a tree. Like, if you go back to Genesis, you know, it all began with the tree. Revelations, it talks about a tree. In in John, Jesus says, I am the true vine, relating to a tree. And so trees actually show, like, kind of God establishing his, his authority in people over the earth. Because what they do is they bring shade, they bring comfort, they bring beauty, and they bring strong standing authority. So God usually relates to kings as trees. So in this next scripture, it says, the tree grew up large and became strong and its height reached the sky, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its foliage was beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the the birds of the sky dwelt in its branches, and all the living creatures fed themselves from it. I was looking in the vision in my mind as I lay on my bed, and behold, an angelic watcher, a holy one, descended from the heaven. He shouted out and spoke as follows, chop down the tree and cut off the branches, strip off its foliage and scatter its fruit. Let the beast flee from under it and the birds from its branches, yet leave the stump with its root in the ground, but with a band of iron and bronze around it in the new grass of the field and let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him share with the beast in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let a beast mind be given to him and let seven periods of time pass over him. This sentence is by the decree of the angelic watchers and the decision is a command of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the most high is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whom he wishes and sets over it the lowliest of men. This is so interesting because this really shows that God is not to be in rivalry with glory with no man, that all glory is due to God. And in this scripture, it's kind of interesting that they talk about Nebuchadnezzar becoming like a stump with iron around it because it really shows the grace of God that God could have just uprooted the tree. He could have just altogether taken it out, but he chose to leave the stump with iron bronze around it. And it really shows, like, through that whole process of sanctification that God takes us through sometimes, when we become, knowledge, when we become knowledgeable about, about our sin and we stand in awe of God and we see his greatness, and then God starts to discipline our hearts, sometimes we feel like we're being cut down and like we're being cut down to the remains of a stump. But God didn't necessarily uproot him. He caused him to still remain in the earth. And then he caused the bronze to be over him. So next, Daniel interprets the vision. It says, then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was, was, a, was appalled for, for a while as, he, as his thoughts alarmed him. The king responded and said, Belshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation alarm you. Belshazzar replied, my lord, if only the dream applied to those who hate you and its interpretation to your adversaries. The tree that you saw, which became large and grew strong, whose height reached to the sky, and was visible to the earth, and whose foliage was beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and which was food for all, under which the beast and the field dwelt, in whose branches the beast in whose branches the birds of the sky lodged, it is you, O king, for you have become great and strong, and your majesty has become great and reached to the sky, and your dominion to the end of the earth. And that the king saw an angelic watcher, a holy one, descending from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it. I'm just going to stop there for a second. It's so interesting that I love the way Daniel approaches the king when he's given this word. You know, oftentimes, like, when we receive a word for somebody or it's like a correction, uh, sometimes we hold back and we try to sugar it up and say, oh, no, oh, king, be blessed forever. But... I just love how Daniel really takes a second to pause and and, and look at the way he's communicating this message to the king. Um, just a personal story. I remember a couple of years back, I was, I was in Houston. and I was going to this uh, college ministry called Mission 24, and a lot of great things were happening. A lot of people were just getting radically transformed um, by the word and the spirit of God. And I remember I was like, I just need prayer. I just need to get prayed for. And I was standing in the line for prayer, and there was this guy, and I said, I don't want that guy to pray for me. <laughs> You know, sometimes, like, you're there, and you're just like, all right, everyone else is cool, but that guy is weird. And so there's this one guy, and, like, we're in this line, and there's, like, four people. All the leaders are up here praying for people, and I'm standing in the line. I'm standing in someone else's line, and for some odd reason, the person that was in front of me decided to go out of order. So they go to the right, and then I'm standing next to this guy, like, ready, to, queued up to be prayed by him. I'm like, God, I just don't want this guy to pray for me. So he comes up, and he prays for me, and he's like ooh, I'm not getting anything from the Lord. He's like, let's just wait for a little bit. And so I'm like, all right, let's see what God says. So we're waiting, and he goes, I see a tree. I was like, yeah, Lord, yeah, a tree. Okay, that's good. Trees are good. He goes, but there's no fruit on the trees. And I got so offended. I was like, how dare you, brother? (laughs) like, (laughs) what do you mean there's no fruit on the trees? And he goes, yeah, man, that's all I got. And I was like, this is encouraging. This is great. You know, I come here. My heart is, like, open. I'm like, yeah, Lord, I'm ready to receive. And this guy prophesies this message over me. And I'm just, like, ready to walk out the door. But it's so interesting because, like, why do we treat the word of God like that? That, like, we wait for God to speak these glorious things over, over us. But then when it comes to actually dealing with the conditions of our heart, we say, oh, God, that's not true. That's not me. And it's funny because in that response to God, there's really little room for repentance, so let's say my heart is is stuck in sin, and I'm in a very disconnected place from God. When I have a response of, God, that's not you, it's saying, God, I don't believe your word, God, I don't believe what you're saying, and I don't believe who you are. And when you have that stance, it says, without faith, no man can please God. So if you don't even believe God is who he says he is, how can he work in your life? You know, faith is the vehicle that God uses to give us a testimony In the word, it says that we're saved by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony so that when God does things in your life through difficult seasons, through words that aren't so good. And he starts to show himself and he disciplines you and he shows himself strong in your life. You then have a testimony. And then when you have a testimony, he restores you, he redeems you, and then he gives you. And then we'll start to see this also with Nebuchadnezzar, the restoration process that happened in his life, which was so interesting. So let's continue reading. I'm going to start reading from verse 24. Actually, I'm sorry. I'm going to start reading from verse 28, the vision fulfilled. So after um, Daniel interprets this dream for the king, immediately you'll start to see that this vision start to take place. So in verse 28, it says, all this happened to Nebuchadnezzar, the king. Twelve months later, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. The king reflected and said, is this not Babylon, the great which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power for the glory of my majesty? Oh, man. First, he starts out, God, you are great. You are set above in the heavens. And then he comes out and says, man, look at all this. I'm a pretty cool guy. Like, I built all this. And let's see the Lord's response after that. So it says the king reflected and said that. And 31 says, while the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared, sovereignty has been removed from you. And you will be driven away from mankind. And your dwelling place will be in the beast of the field. You will be given grass to eat like cattle. And seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the most high ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whoever whoever he wishes. Immediately the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled and he was driven away from mankind and began eating grass like cattle. And his body was drenched with the dew of heaven under his hair, had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. So interesting. Immediately. Immediately, the word of God happened. As soon as Nebuchadnezzar stands up and he asserts himself, look at all that I've done. Oh, God, you're no longer great, but it's me. Immediately, then the word that Daniel, the interpretation that Daniel gave to the king started to happen. And I think it's very interesting that being a king, you know, bringing shade to the beasts of the field, he then was subject like them, and he was sent out to be a beast And it's so interesting because that that really shows, a beast shows the lowliest place of a man. And it's interesting that God would take Nebuchadnezzar, who was prideful in asserting himself over the whole dominion of Babylon, and take him and make him like a beast. So I think that's very interesting. There's one more thing I wanted to say. Give me a second. Sorry, I have a Windows computer, and it just doesn't do right sometimes. You know, there's something glorious about Mac, I think. I def- <laughs> um, Yeah, so when God's, with God's holiness, when we have a clear picture of God's holiness, it causes a, a change in us, a response in us. When we see God for who he is and we say, wow, God, you are awesome, and we have that all moment, you know, it causes something to change in our heart, and then we see ourselves and we see our condition. And so it's so interesting that, like, in the first beginning of that scripture that he sees God. He sees God in all his majesty. He sees God for who he is. And then Daniel comes next, and he reveals the condition of his heart. And after that, the word takes place, and then it starts to come to pass. So just a personal story. um, The Lord has done a lot of things in my life, and just teaching me about who he is, and just teaching me about myself. And I remember I was working in this ministry in Texas And I was 16, and God was radically changing my life. And I remember the pastor said, hey, Matt, we want you to do kids ministry. I was like, yeah, great, sure, I'll do it. I remember I was so prideful. Um, I got up, and I was just, my heart just wasn't in the right place. And the next Sunday, he came up to me, and he said, hey, we got to have a talk. I was like, yeah, he's going to tell me how great I am, you know, how great of a job I did. And he goes, hey, your heart isn't in the right place. So, actually, we're going to take you out of kids ministry and you can work the parking lot. I said, oh, okay. That's not what I was expecting. So he sends me out to the parking lot, and for five years, I don't preach. I don't minister. I wave to cars coming into church every Sunday. But but how, how great the love of God to not leave us to ourselves. But whenever there's a pride issue, he, he restores us. He takes us through the process. He says, you know what? I love you, and I see what I've put in you. I see the roots that I've put in your heart, and I want to cultivate them. But, I, but they can't be cultivated unto themselves. So I'm going to take you through a process of discipline. I'm going, to fi- I'm going to turn up the fallow ground. I'm going to plant some new seeds in there, and I'm going to water them in community. I'm going to put people around you that are going to restore you. And so I just want to encourage you guys that, like, sometimes God does things in our life that look like, ouch, they hurt ouch, God, what are you doing? But like, look at his heart in the process. Look at what he's doing. Look at the whole picture. A lot of times we look at what God is taking away from us, and we say, God, you took this away. This is going wrong. This is out of whack. But a lot of times it's for your benefit. It's for your benefit. It's for your benefit. And also God will have his glory rival with no man. That all glory is due to him. So anyways, I'm in the parking lot for five years waving the cars, and I said, you know what, God, I'm going to do this faithfully. I'm going to serve these cars in this parking lot. I will preach to these cars like they are kids. So I'm in the parking lot. I got my, not even an iPhone back then, my smart, my Razor phone. I'm just like, you know, Looking up scriptures. Yeah, Lord, let these cars be blessed when people come out of here. Let them come in the car. Let there be no arguments between spouses. Let them find reconciliation. God, I just pray, God, for restoration of marriages. And I'm in the parking lot, and then God is just starting to train you up. He's starting to train you up. And it isn't such the story also of, of David? You know, it's like we look at, you know, whenever David was in the field and he was working with the sheep and everything, you could look at the situation and say, God, what are you doing? Like, this isn't what I was called for. God, you told me, I hear people say all the time, God, I was prophesied I'm going to be a leader. I was prophesied I'm going to go to the nations. And then you look at your life and you say, well, I'm working at Starbucks. And then you start to get discouraged. But, man, God takes us through a process. Everything in your life is so intentional. I promise you, God does nothing by mistake. Everything he takes you through has a purpose, has an intention. He's so literal. He's so intricate in the way he looks at your life and the way he fashions you. So don't look at your life and despise what God is doing. It's so easy, especially you that are in college. Like, you know, you get a bad grade or you, you break a nail and the world is over. You got $5 in the bank account and God is no longer good. How? How did God ever become conditioned to be good whether your life was going right or not? You know? His glory is so much better than that. And so I think this story, like, looking at Daniel and looking at his life is such It's such a story that exemplifies that. Because throughout all Daniel's life, one thing that's noticed is he was steady and consistent. He built habits to set himself apart from the popular crowd. He decided, you know what, I'm going to make a resolve in my mind. And I'm going to worship my Lord, irregardless of what I'm going through. And we'll start to see that also happen in chapter 5. A very interesting story starts to take place. So if you can turn to chapter 5, verse 10. So around this time, Daniel's a little bit older, and he's also seemingly forgotten by the king's court. There's a new king in place. And let me just give me some time to flip there. So yeah, let's start reading from chapter 10. Verse 10, sorry. (laughs) Um, Actually, no, let me back up. I'm going to start reading from verse one. So Belshazzar the king held a great feast for a thousand of his nobles, and he was drinking wine in the presence of the thousand. When Belshazzar tasted the wine, he gave orders to bring the gold and silver vessels with, Nebuch- with which Nebuchadnezzar his father had taken out to the temple, which was in Jerusalem. So the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, might drink from heaven. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God, which was in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, drank from them. They drank the wine and praised the gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Suddenly, the finger of a man's hand emerged and began writing opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the back of the hand that did the writing. Then the king's face grew pale, and his thoughts alarmed him, and his hip joints went slack, and his knees began knocking together. The king called aloud to bring in the conjurers, the Chaldeans, and the diviners. The king spoke and said to the wise men of Babylon, any man who can read this inscription and explain its interpretation to me shall be clothed with purple and have a necklace of gold around his neck. And have authority as a third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in and they, couldn't, they could not read the inscription or make known its interpretation to the king. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed. His face grew even paler and his nobles were perplexed. I'm going to stop there. So before the king even has the act of God communicate or interpreted to him, he's already shameful. It says he was filled with fear and his face was pale. Next in chapter 10, the queen entered the banquet hall because of the words of the king and his nobles. The queen said, oh, king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts alarm you or your face be pale. And it's funny because whenever God really speaks something to our lives that causes us to, like, really come alive and wake up, like a stern word, it's funny how sometimes people that are in the world will try to subdue it a little bit. Hey, man, you don't have to do that. Like, you don't have to be that radical, bro. Like, bro, you can come to this party with us. You don't have to set your life aside. So next, it says, there is a man in your kingdom in whom is a spirit of the holy gods. And in the days of your father, illumination, insight, and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, appointed him chief of the magicians, conjurers, Chaldeans, and diviners. This was because an extraordinary spirit knowledge and insight interpretation of dreams explanation of enigmas and solving of difficult problems were found in this Daniel whom the king named Belshazzar let Daniel now be summoned and he will declare the interpretation this scripture is monumental because it really shows that when you set your life aside for God and when you cultivate intimacy with God and you allow God to to show faith through challenging situations people will remember your response in those situations. And so it was with the king because the queen said, oh, wait, there's this one guy, Daniel, who the Lord put an extraordinary spirit in. Let's call him. He can interpret the dream. Whenever no one else can do it, they will remember you. And so I also want to encourage you that walking this life for God Even though sometimes you may feel that you are the only one, you may feel that there's no support, I promise you that when the Spirit supports you and you begin to walk, people will begin to remember, and they'll realize, oh, wait, there was that one guy, I remember that one guy in my small group who just wouldn't relent, who kept a steadfast heart after God. Let's call him, let's call him to come pray for us, and then you will be the answer, the solution to the challenging times. So, and it's so interesting that there was a hand there riding on the wall. Because a hand really doesn't show the full picture of what's doing the action. So I was reading some commentary and it was saying that the king was even more fearful because he didn't know what was behind the hand. He was wondering that if this is the hand of God riding on the wall, who is God? What is God? And it just caused a lot of awe and fear to happen within him. So chapter, um, verse 17 says, then Daniel answered and said before the king, keep your gifts, said before the king, keep your gifts for yourself or give your reward to someone else. However, I will read the inscription to the king and make the interpretation known to him. O king, the most high God has granted sovereignty, grandeur, glory, and majesty to Nebuchadnezzar, your father. Because of the grandeur which he bestowed on him, all the, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language feared and trembled before him. Whoever he wishes, he killed, and whoever he wished, he spared alive, and whomever he wished, he elevated, and whoever he wished, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit became so proud that he behaved arrogantly, he was, he was dep- deposed from his royal throne, and his glory was taken away from him. He was also driven away from mankind, and his heart was made like, of a, like that of a beast, and his dwelling place was like that of wild donkeys. He was given grass to eat like cattle, and his body was drenched with the dew of, of heaven until he recognized that the Most High God is ruler over the realm of mankind, that he sets over him whomever he wishes. Yet you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart. Even though you knew all this, but you have, you have exalted yourself, against the Lord of the heavens, and they have and they have brought the vessels of his house before you and and your nobles, your wives and your concubines, have been drinking wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and bronze, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see, hear, or understand. But the God in whose hand the God in whose hand are your life, breath, and all your ways, you have not glorified. Then the hand was sent from him and ins- inscription was written out. Now this is the inscription that was written. Mini Mini Tikal. I can't read that last word. A parson. This is the interpretation of the message. Mini, God has numbered your days and put to and put it to an end. Tiko, you have been weighed on the scales and found deficient. Peris Your kingdom has been divided and given over to the Medes and the Persians. Then Belshazzar gave orders, and they clothed Daniel with purple and put a necklace of gold around his neck and issued a proclamation concerning him that now had authority as the third ruler in the kingdom. That same night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was slain. So Darius the Mede received the kingdom at about the age of 62. This is so interesting how God moves that he moves leaders in and out, that he has the ability to change leadership and that you actually have a role in it, you know? A lot of times we look at our lives as being insignificant. Well, God, I'm not talking to politicians. God, I'm I'm working at CVS. I'm working at Walgreens. But I just want to encourage you that it's all training, that through the story of your life, the Lord writes his progression. And as you continue to stay faithful and as you continue to humble your heart to allow him to work this process out, you'll start to see that he will bring you before leaders, that you were made for it. That it's your destiny. It's what's inscribed on your life. So let's go over to chapter 6. So one thing I love about Daniel is that he kept a steady heart his whole life. That even at the age of 17, he still kept the same consistency at the age of 70. That he still prayed three times a day. He still opened up his window. He still kept that same that same type of of intensity in seeking seeking out the Lord. One of the qualities about Daniel is that he was distinguished. Um, He had a great heart. He, He chose to set himself apart from the people that were in his area. He had an excellent spirit, exceptional capacity to overcome and go through extreme difficulty. He had a quality of integrity and faithfulness. But, also, another thing to note was the positions that God had placed him in, they were all susceptible to all sorts of uh, dishonesty. Like he was put before kings, he was put to advise r- rulers, he was put to, to talk to the king's court, and in each position, he had the ability to, he was susceptible to be dishonest, to steal those, in those high positions, but he kept that same steadfast heart in seeking the Lord and keep, holding morality and holding the standard of integrity. Another thing about Daniel was he was marked by purity, stability, and integrity. That all throughout his whole life, people saw him as a pure man. They saw him as a man of integrity. And when we start to go through these chapters, you'll start to see that even people who were against Daniel, they could find no fault in him. That they had to use his relationship with God as a a means to convict him of something that he was doing because there was no wrong in him. So it's so interesting that, that God says, as you lift me up, that he will lift you up so that men may see his good deeds. It's like as you glorify God, that God will also elevate you. And as you continue to worship God, that he will also continue to take you in places that you haven't been And Also, that's very evident in Daniel. His, his walk with God invaded his work. Everything he did was in the service of God. There was no difference between his Monday and his Sunday that even his heart before God invaded the posture of his heart when he was working in politics, man, don't you want that in your life? Man, I desire that so much that God, my stance on Sunday that you would, that I would have the same type of heart and worship, the attitude of worship when I'm doing finance, that I, I would have the same type of heart of worship when I'm doing something else, when I'm with my fiance, you know? And, and if, if we keep this posture before God of God, you are worthy of it all. God, I want to please you, God. I want to know you. And we don't just settle for what looks like is Christianity. Then I promise you God will start to invade those different areas of your life and you'll start to see him move. And you'll say, oh, man, I'm working in a, in, in, med- in the medical field. Oh, wow, but God is still using me. He's putting people around me. People are taking notice. People are seeing how he's moving in my life. People are being brought before God. They're coming to know God. And so And such is that way with Daniel that as he walked with God in those challenging situations, people who weren't saved, they saw, they saw and they took, and they took notice. So whenever they were in challenging situations, Daniel was the one they called upon. Let's look at verse five. Chapter six. So it says, then the commissioners and the satraps came by agreement to the king, and they spoke to him as follows. King Darius, live forever. All the satraps, the high officials, and the governors have consulted together that the king should establish a statue and enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man beside you, O king, for 30 days shall be cast into the lion's den. Now O king establish the injunction and sign the document so that it may not be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians which may not be revoked. Therefore King Darius signed the document that is that is in the injunction. Now when Daniel knew that the document was signed he entered his house. Now in his roof now in his roof chamber he had windows open towards Jerusalem and he continued and he continued kneeling on his knees 3 times a day praying and giving thanks before God as he did, as he had been doing previously. This is so interesting. His stance didn't change. Even through the king making this decree, which Daniel knew affected him, Daniel said, you know what? I'm still going to do the same thing I did. I'm going to go into my room. I'm going to open up my door. And three times a day, I'm going to seek out the Lord. I'm going to seek his answer. You know what's funny? This whole week I was thinking, like, man, sometimes when trouble and and challenging situations come in your life that are really hard, they kind of bring out a different response in you that's not your normal response. And I started to look at my life. I'm like, God, isn't it so funny that the way you show me the condition of my heart is through challenging times? You know, like when you have a hard day at work or your bank account is low and you have no money, you're just like, oh, things start to go haywire. And then you start to really see the condition of your heart. And it's so interesting because even in this things directly affecting Daniel in his, in his surroundings, the condition of his heart was steadfast. He said, I'm going to go and pray. I'm going to seek the Lord in this. And so it should be the same for us. You know, whenever challenging things hit us and our world starts to seem like it's hanging by, by the thread, man, that we keep the same heart, Lord, I'm going to seek your face in this. Lord, I need you in this. Lord, I desire you in this. But oftentimes, we either get hung up in doubt We start looking at all the things that we're not. Oh, Lord, but I'm no good. Lord, I can't do this. I can't handle this. And one thing I love, if you look in Genesis, um, whenever Adam and Eve ate from the tree, and it says that they were naked and they clothed themselves, and it said that God was looking for them, and they said, oh, God, we're naked. And he said, who told you that? Who told you that you're naked? And a lot of times we look at our lives, and whenever we're stuck in sin, we say, oh, God, but, God, I'm not this. I'm dishonest. I'm sucking sin. My life is no good. He's looking at you and saying, who told you that? From whom did you receive that word? That didn't come from me. What tree are you eating from today? Whenever you go through hard times, what source are you, are you eating from? Who are you allowing to speak into your life? And it's so interesting because in Deuteronomy 3, he says, today I've set before you life and death. Blessed is the one that chooses life. Curse is the one that chooses death. Choose life. That depending on what we choose to believe in hard circumstances, that's going to dictate our thought process and it's going to dictate our response to the situation. And so that's why in, in Deuteronomy, he's very intentional in saying, Choose life. When hard times come, when the enemy rises like a flood, choose life. Because when you choose life, his thoughts are higher, his ways are higher, and then he'll start to speak things to you. No, you're this. No, you, you've met, you're made to, to tread above. You're made to stand firm. And then it allows faith to be produced in you. You say, you know what, God? I don't see that in my life right now, but I trust it. And then when you have that faith and you see the promise realized, then you have a testimony. And from that testimony, other people see your response in the situation. They're able to follow God as well. All leadership is, all this Christian life is, is you looking at your life, looking at the situation, and saying, nope, but Jesus, and following what he says. A lot of times in Christianity, what we do is we look at our situation, and we say, okay, how can I fix it? How can I manage this my own? How can I kind of make this work my own? But Daniel didn't do that. He he kept a consistent heart. He said, you know what? I'm going to my room, and as I've done in the past for all my life, I'll seek the face of the Lord because it's where my help comes from. It's the only thing I have. But you know, we're so sophisticated with our technology, with our, our 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 things that we have with our 401ks, with the cushions that we have in our accounts, we say, "Oh, I can make this work. I can somehow structure this to work." But man, that's not how God designed it. You know, a lot of times it's through the suffering that God produces something in you. It's through the suffering and the hard times that God chooses to show himself strong because when you start to latch onto that in that area, Man, there's a faith that, that's not rocked because you, there's something that you couldn't do for yourself that God had to do. And when he steps in and then you start to see him work, it produces this element of faith in you. Man, God is good. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing that he doesn't leave us unto ourselves? So good. So let's, start, let's continue reading chapter 6. So it's just interesting in chapters 10 through 12 that the characteristics of Daniel's life were his strength. Um, it was the things that his adversaries could call him out on in verses 10 and 12. That the way he sought the Lord, his steadfastness, and knowing that he, would not, that he would not deny God, were the things that they had to use to that the king had to use to create this edict against Daniel. So in the next chapter, Daniel's actually in the lion's den. And it says. Then the king gave orders and Daniel was brought in and cast into the lion's den. The king spoke and said to Daniel, your God, whom you consistently serve, will himself deliver you. A stone was brought and laid over the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with his signet ring of his nobles so that nothing would be would be changed in regards to Daniel. So that's so interesting that before Daniel goes in the den, the king says this. Your God, whom you consistently serve, consistently serve, will himself deliver you. The king is praying for Daniel. The king is praying for Daniel. He's saying, Daniel, the God that you serve, may He, may He consistently save, may He save you because of your consistently, your consistent service of Him. So next it says, Then Daniel spoke to the king and said, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel. Oh, I'm I'm going ahead, sorry. Then Daniel, yeah, Daniel spoke to the king and said, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they, can't, and, they, and they have not harmed me inasmuch as was found innocent before him. And also towards you, O king, I have committed no crime. I love this, that God it vindicates us in such a way that Daniel's able to stand and said, O king, although this, was, this situation happened, there was no crime. I did no wrong, and God saved me. Then the king was very pleased and gave orders for Daniel to be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no injury whatsoever was found in him because he had trusted in God. The king then gave orders, and they brought those men who had miraculously accused Daniel, and they cast them, their children, their wives, into the lion's den. And they had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them. And crushed all of their bones. So interesting that a lot of times, like when we have adversaries kind of speaking against us in our life, and we say, God, like, won't you do something? Won't you do something? It's not that God isn't looking to do something, but he's more so looking to produce something in you, a steadfastness, as Daniel had. Oh, King, the Lord will do it. And it's so funny that after Daniel is vindicated, after the Lord kind of brings correction to the situation, then the adversaries, those that were accusing Daniel, are then thrown in, that they are then subject to the same punishment that Daniel had. Sorry, give me a second. I'm just going to find myself in my notes. So it's just also so interesting, like, the parallels that we see in the Bible between Daniel and the life of Jesus, that oftentimes Jesus had false accusations cast at him, that he had people seeking to take his life, seeking to accuse him of things. And oftentimes those same people were subject to the the, the consequence of their accusations. And it's funny because like a lot of times, you know, in my life, whenever someone says a wrong word against me, or they, they say something to falsely accuse me, you know, the first thing you want to do is you want to retaliate. Pride wants to well up in you. You want to say, wait, let me show you how wrong you are, you know. You want to vindicate yourself. But I just want to also encourage you that the Lord is the one that fights for you, that he fights on your behalf. You don't have to do it yourself. Because a lot of times what we do is, like, we, we swell up in pride, and we say, okay, I'll show you myself. And then we just end up getting either further drawn out into sin or we end up offending somebody and having to reconcile the situation. But instead, let's change our response. Lord, I believe you'll do it. I know this situation isn't right. I know I'm in the lion's den right now. I know there's adversaries around me. But God, I will continue to serve you because you are my help. You are my vindicator. You are the one that brings retribution. You are the one that brings change. And man, when you have that type of faith in God, he can do anything through you. No, Life is no longer the, the condition that determines how you feel. You look at your life, and it may be going up and down. It's a roller coaster, but your heart is steady because you've set your heart to say, God, I'm going to go into my room three days, and I'm going to do what I did consistently in the past. I'm going to seek you, and I'm going to find you. And it's funny because, like, as God starts to tell you things and as he starts to unction your heart to do things, it's in the little things that starts first. So he may say, hey, I want you to talk to that person on the T. And you say, okay, I'll do it. And he's going to say, okay, next I want you to talk to this group of people. Okay, Lord, I'll do it. Okay, next I want you to talk to your boss about me. Oh, no, Lord, I'm not doing that, you know. But it's like he takes you through, he trains us. It's funny, like look all around your life. He trains you in such a way to, to really bring out what he's trying to bring out through your life. The purpose that he instilled in you. We all have a purpose. Look, look all around us. Like grass has a purpose. Trees have a purpose. Everything does. How much more your life, how much more your life that God took care in creating you for a specific purpose. You're not, you're not left unto yourself. You're not left out to dry. But that even the God that raises the dead, he has the ability to raise up the remains of your life. A lot of us are spiritually, I was talking to Annie the other day. I was like, Annie, man, I think we're spiritually bankrupt. A lot of us, seriously, a lot of us are spiritually bankrupt. Where we're, we're doing this thing of, oh Lord, I love you. Lord, I seek you. We come in here, we praise God. Lord, do it again. But then, whenever hard times happen, there's no currency there because you didn't cultivate anything. You didn't say, okay, God, this is difficult, but I'm holding on to your word because I believe you are who, who you say you are. And that's what produces faith in us. God is such an intentional God. He's just looking to cultivate intimacy with us because when he does, and that intimacy starts to cultivate, you can live from that place in power. And you can stand through the hard times. And you can stand in authority. But a lot of times what we do is when we see those challenging situations, we say, oh, God, I can't do that. And there's no room for him to move. And then you, you go five years in your life and you say, oh, God God did that for that person, but he didn't do it for me. So he must not be real. Guys, God is no respective person. What he did through Daniel, he can do through us. What he did through Joshua, he can do through us. But the, the question is, will you allow him through Suffering through discipline to produce this thing in your life to show himself strong because he wants to, he wants to do it through all of us. There's situations we can look at our lives where there's you know areas where we're not so good in, areas where there's lack, but that God actually wants to produce a steadfast heart, as Daniel, you know, students. You're in school, seems like you're doing mundane tasks, you're going to class every day, Monday through Friday. And you think, oh, there's no benefit in it. I promise you there's people in your classroom that you can affect just by your steadfast heart. Don't grumble and complain through it, what the Lord is doing. He has the ability to take you and insert you as a leader in those areas, in that context, and to allow other people, to draw other people to himself in that area. And they'll start to look for you as a Daniel in your life. Man, let's pray. Oh, God, we just thank you, Father. Uh, for the stance of Daniel. God, I thank you, God, the consistent themes all throughout his life that uh, you've shown us in your word, God, that you continually um, God, were his, You continually answered his prayers, God, that you continually were his shepherd. And, Lord, I just believe, God, that um, you are the same God, God, of yesterday as today, God. You are the same God. You move in the same way. And so, Lord, we just commit our lives to you, Father. God, we just make a decree today. God, we just say through challenging times, Lord, we will seek your face. God, we will position our heart like Daniel to be found steadfast and consistent. God, that when other people look at our lives and they say, what is said about this person, that they would see consistency and a steadfast heart. So, God, I just pray, God, through uh, the difficulty and the challenging scenarios that we face in life, I pray, God, that this would be a community, God, that would stand in consistency, God, with your word. Father, that you would produce Daniels, Lord God, in this community. God, those that would speak on behalf of your word, God, without partiality. God, without bias. But, God, that would stand in agreement with the spirit of God and speak your word. Thus says the Lord. So, Lord, I thank you, God, for just this awesome man that you've created. And, God, I thank you, God, that you want to do it again. Oh, Lord, God, you are all about writing epistles. You are all about writing stories. And so, Lord, we just say, God, come and write on our hearts, Lord. God, come and infuse, God just faithfulness in us. God, let us no longer look at prayer, God, as a religious thing, but, God, let, it, let us look at it, Father God, as a place, God, where we have the ability to continue to put our iron in the fire and say, God, I will remain in this place until you move. I will remain in this place until I see you, until heaven comes to earth, Father. So, God, we thank you that you are good. And, Lord, we thank you, God, for this faithfulness that you produce in Daniel. And, God, we just say do it again. In your name, Lord, we pray. Amen.